Fania, come on up, girl. Shania, Shania was baptized last Sunday, I believe, right? She studied the Bible with uh, Lindsay and Aaliyah, right? Yes. And we are so happy that you are here, girl. Um, <clears throat> nothing better to be grateful for than somebody committing their lives to the Lord um, during this holiday season. Um, I'm excited that you guys are here today. I'm excited that you guys were able to get out of bed and you guys got out of those food comas. Um, Food comas, that's right. Um, it's, it's this thing that us old people suffer whenever uh, I, count, I count myself as an old person. It's finally happened. I'm in the group. We eat so much, we can't get up the next morning. Um, it's actually funny, too, because I was telling Wes this a couple minutes ago. I, have you guys ever had like that phase where like you've woken up, but then like you fall back asleep, but you don't really think that you're asleep? And same here, girl. Same here. All right. And so what happened was my wife got up earlier than me to come to do worship practice, and so I had about an extra hour or so. Um, and I was awake when she left, but I kind of like drifted back off, but I didn't think that I was actually sleeping. And I went through this dream phase that it was like the worst Sunday of my life, like that I had woken up late, and I'm kind of getting over a head cold, so like I was up here hacking the whole time, and like everything was going wrong. We Our, our church printer caught on fire this week, so we didn't have... The bulletin, so I had to go to Office Max and get all that stuff. But I, I thought I left it in my other car. So whenever I was here at church, uh, we didn't have bulletins, and all my tech stuff, all the media stuff, was all like glitching up. And so we didn't have any media. We didn't have sound. And I, it was just like it was noon, and we hadn't even started the sermon yet because we we're trying to figure everything out. And then I woke up, and I was like in a sweat, and I was like, "This is the worst thing ever." And then I look over. And my alarm didn't even go off. Um, I, I woke up 15 minutes later than I needed to to get up. And I was like, it's beginning. It's real. <laughs> I was like, this is going to happen today, that this is going to be the worst. <coughs> and the only thing that, I was, uh, that brought me peace, I was like, well, maybe it's Thanksgiving, so like, nobody will show up to church today. <laughs> but you all proved me wrong. So I'm grateful that you're here. It may be the worst thing you've ever heard, um, but we're going to get through it together. Um, we actually took a little break from... What we've been talking about, I was supposed to do part two today of uh, our storm uh, lesson, but we actually pushed that to next week because we're going to have a week that we want to talk about this idea of Thanksgiving. And I know that Thanksgiving has already passed, and you're like, well, we normally would talk about a Thanksgiving sermon um, before Thanksgiving, um, but we thought it was an appropriate time to bring something up with Thanksgiving and this idea of overflowing with thankfulness <coughs> because, can somebody grab me a water, please, um, from the back? Um, the hacking is beginning. Like I said, it's all, it's all coming. Thanks, Phil. Um, the, it's, all coming, it's all coming together, guys. If my, if my laptop starts glitching on me, it's, I'm, I'm just a prophet, I guess. I don't know. God spoke to me in a dream that I wasn't supposed to do this sermon today. Um, <coughs> so <clears throat> here at The Crossings, we have been established for about six years now. Um, and if you look through kind of the years here at The Crossings, if you're visiting with us, now you know. Um, if you have been with us that time, you've understood the kind of tr the, the progression that our church has went through over the last six years. Um, even e the physical building itself, when we first got this, when we first came on this church plant, we established this church here in Collinsville, we weren't meeting at this facility. We were actually meeting at a hotel. And some of you may have forgotten that. And some of you may have forgotten those times and, and how we had to, you know, transport our media to and from every single day for setup and breakdown. 
um, because this building was just kind of, it used to be an old movie theater and it looked like a movie theater when we first bought it, uh, that we could not use it because it had been kind of run down and it wasn't safe and we didn't have occupancy yet. And so we had to do a lot of things through this building. So <clears throat> even just the way that the church building itself has, has progressed, that we now have an auditorium large enough to, to seat all of us. We have, we have the access to open up the, our other auditorium on this side to have classrooms built for our, for our children's ministries. Um, and just the building itself has went through a, a crazy progression, but we've had those benchmarks in our, in our church's history because of the benchmarks we've had and the history of the people that we've had within our church. You see, our church started with about 30 people, and as you can look around the room, there's a lot more than 30 people here. Um, there's probably 30 kids in themselves in our children's classrooms. And so <coughs> our church has really grown to this to this, this phase where we, we are growing exponentially. If you don't know anything about the Crossings Church, we came from a church plant in Wentzville, Missouri. And there's about five, well, I guess we have a church now in, in, in Florida with a, with a guy named Donnie Dillon that, that kind of is underneath uh, our leadership and, and, and is guided by some of the things that we do. They do similar sermons to us. Um, we, have a, we have a church now in Tulsa that does the same kind of model. And then we have four churches between Interbelt, uh, St. Charles County, here, and Columbia. And so in, in those six churches over the time, you know, last, I don't know, 20 years or so, um, it's not uncommon that when I go to a staff meeting on Wednesdays to talk with some of those leaders that there's, you know, 900, 1,000 people that would meet on a Sunday morning going through the same things that we're going through today um, that has just been built. It's also not uncommon to go to one of those staff meetings and hear that there are four or five baptisms that have happened between the churches. Some weeks there's seven or eight baptisms, that there's almost a baptism happening every single day within our congregations. And when you hear all this stuff, whether it's just the small piece that you get to be a, a, a part of here at Collinsville, or if you are a part of this church plant, or if you know some of those other churches and you know how much things have grown, it's only due to the mentality of a lot of the leaderships in those churches having this do-it-or-die-trying mentality. They're going to do everything they can to advance God's kingdom. They're going to do everything they can to show that their lives are living sacrifices for what God has done for them. Um, and it's not just behind the leadership. It's because there has been a model set in place by the leadership that the membership has chosen to follow and, and develop and use as well. And so when you look at the idea of what is going on in our churches and how our plants and how our churches are just growing exponentially <coughs> and where we're getting at within our congregations, you can look back and have this idea of excitement and, 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 and know how awesome it has been, but also an, an amazement of what God has done for some of us to think, man, to think that this is where we're at. Think of all the things we've been through and this is where we're at and to have this sense of amazement. But ultimately, the feeling that we should have at the core is, is thankfulness and gratitude. That it's so cool to see what we have. It's so amazing to see what we have. But ultimately, I'm so grateful for what we have. I'm so thankful for what God has done for us. And that's why I think today is a great time to just take a small pause in what we've been talking through all year and hit on this idea of gratitude so we can, as a church, have a direction and where we want to, if we want to continue this pace, if we want to continue to see the growth, the excitement, the amazement of what God can do, we need to take a minute and pause 
and be reminded of the gratitude that we should have as we walk through the next 10 or 15 years of our church's life. You see, I read a recent study lately on gratitude, and the study came to talk about this emotion of gratitude has now become scientifically proven that beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is the most absolute healthiest emotion a human being can have. Um, It's a hallmark of mental health, gratitude is, that it... (coughs) The study actually revealed that people who are grateful are more resistant to diseases and illnesses than people that are tend to be more grumpy and grouchy in their demeanor and their lifestyle. And to think that if it can have that kind of impact on our own physical bodies, what can it do for us mentally and spiritually as well as we walk through that idea? And to think of how many times when you walk through Scripture, there's over 400 passages in Scripture that talk about thanksgiving and gratitude and how the Bible commands that we have these things. It doesn't, it doesn't say if you're feeling like it. It doesn't say if you, if you should, but the Bible makes it very clear that God says you need to have gratitude for what has been given to you. Um, that's why I think today is a great opportunity to talk about these things. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of look at some core things with gratitude. And the verse we're going to start with is Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. And in Colossians 2, <coughs> verses 6 and 7, um, We'll have, the, we'll have the, the scriptures up on screen, but if you guys would like to, uh, we have some notes that you guys can pull out of your bulletins uh, that you can follow along with as well. But in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, it says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And see, this idea of thankfulness is meant to be a continuation that's not just a one-time thing. You know, whenever somebody does good for you, you know, especially like as a kid, you know, my mom would always be standing next to me. If somebody gave me something, she'd always give me that little nudge, you know, of like, what do you say? What do you say? And I was like, thank you. You know, like um, that I needed to say it to make sure that the deed had been not unnoticed, that I was grateful for that. And now I catch myself doing that with my kids now. You know, I have three little girls and I do the same thing where, it's, it can be the smallest thing where, like, you know, somebody just hands them a tissue. I'm like, what do you say? You know? And they're like, thank you. And I'm like, all right, because you need to be thankful for every little thing that's been given to you. And I think sometimes we think that when we say thank you, that that's the gratitude and it's done. You know? All right, I said thank you. What else do you want from me? You know? Um, it was just one little small thing. But in our relationship with God, Colossians, it talks about that there's this idea that overflowing with thankfulness needs to take place. And when I think of overflowing, I think about that in itself, the idea of something overflowing is to say that there is a pitcher of water in a cup. And for that cup to be overflowing, that water needs to not stop, right? For that cup to continue to overflow, that means that that pitcher needs to nonstop pouring water in it. And the illustration here is essentially that that pitcher of water is God's love for you. That's God's, that's God's impact in your life and that that love will never stop. God will never stop loving us, and he will continue to do that. That water will always be continuing to flow into us. But at times in our lives, I feel like sometimes we put a cap on that cup and say, you know what, I've gotten enough. Thank you. You know, God, you've changed my life, and now it's time for me to do something different. You know, it's time for me to focus on, you know, raising a family. It's time for me to focus on um, getting the, the, the job that I need to get. It's time for me to focus on the, the material things that I need to kind of build up to, for the next generation and my family. So, and we, t- we kind of sometimes put a cap on that and say, you know what, I've no, I'm no longer overflowing 
I've kind of just said my thank yous, and, and now I'm moving on with my life. And, and, and the challenge today is for us to be able to take that cap back off, because I think for a lot of us as we walk through this lesson today, we're going to kind of maybe identify, maybe, maybe we have put a cap on that opportunity to be overflowed. Maybe we have, we've, we've settled for, for what, we, what we've been blessed with up to this point, but that there's a realization that we've capped some things that maybe God still has in store for us, and the reason that we feel kind of stagnant or complacent is maybe because we haven't remembered how grateful we should be for what God has done for us. You see, thankfulness is a fundamental part of two different things. Number one is receiving Christ. Thankfulness is a fundamental part of receiving Christ. <coughs> because most of us can remember in here, when we died to Christ, when, when, we, when, we, when we were coming to know Christ and we, and we went underneath that water and we were baptized, we, we know that for most of us, that was the reason that we became a Christian, was because we were so incredibly grateful for what God had done for us. You know, the Bible says that Christ's love compels us, right? That there's something that God, something in Christ's love for us, it has compelled us it has made us want to do something, and that's that idea of gratitude and thankfulness. We are so grateful, we are so thankful for what God has done that it has wanted us to change ourselves. And so this idea of bringing Christ into your life, I think sometimes we're not, we're not necessarily uh, completely realizing or, or aware of how much of that process happened in our lives because of the gratitude that we had for what God had done for us, because of the gratitude of what Jesus has done for us. And so just the, the, the initial starting point of our relationship with God, and maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe, maybe you haven't really explored a relationship with God. Maybe you don't really know what Jesus has done for you. Well, today it could be that starting process for you to look at your life and say, you know, I don't really understand this, but if there is somebody that was willing to do that much for me, and there's, there's, somebody, there's somebody in this world that loves me that much, I would feel incredibly grateful. I would feel incredibly thankful. But for many of us, we've, we've went through that phase. And so the second point here is that it's also a fundamental part of continuing in Christ. And like I said earlier, I think sometimes we can put that cap on, on the cup and, and we, we kind of stunt the overflowing of thankfulness and it, it, it hinders us from continuing in Christ. And I think that the reason that we tend to put that cap on is because we forget. And that's not anything new in Scripture. You know, in the Old Testament, God's people time and time again went through phases of trials and went through phases <coughs> of defeat because there was generational gaps of forgetfulness, that God's people forgot what God had done, and because of that, God's people chose to do different things. Because of that, God's people were either punished or enslaved or entrapped, and it took, it took prophets to come in and say, remember, you need to remember what God has done for you. You need to continue in this. You need to remember how much God loves you, and you need to pursue this for the rest of your life. And I think at times what we choose to do is, is we don't say that we want to be unfaithful. Nobody says that they're not grateful, but when we forget, our actions indicate that we're ungrateful. You see, you don't have to sit here and be rebellious in a relationship with God to be unfaithful in a relationship with God. You don't have to sit here and be the most negative antichrist to be somebody 
who doesn't remember Christ. And it can be really easy for us to get into this routine, especially as disciples, especially as Christians, to say, I, I know what God has done for me, but I have been so focused on work lately. I've been so focused on family lately. I've been so focused on school lately that I have forgotten what kind of gratitude I should have in my life. And because of that, I look at my context, I look at my work, I look at my school, I look at my religion, and I I don't feel like it's it's doing what it's meant to be. I don't feel like I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. And I'm telling you right now that you can source that and you can pinpoint it back, probably that you have forgotten what God has done in your life. And so it's such an important and such a fundamental part of not just receiving Christ, but it's also continuing in our relationship with Christ. And so what I want to do today is, <coughs> is I want to kind of hit through some different points on reasons that we should be thankful to Jesus. Because maybe we've forgotten and we need a, a reminder. And these are just some, some very basic things as you walk through Scripture that you can be reminded of that you should be thankful for to Jesus because of what he has done in our lives. And number one is one of the reasons is for the grace he has shown me. See, you can be thankful to Jesus for the grace he's shown me. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, it says, you have been saved by grace through faith. You did not save yourselves. It was a gift from God. You see, there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. You know, we've talked about that before, that, you know, 2,000 years ago, salvation was made available for you because of God sending his son to earth, to be crucified, to die on a cross. Before you had ever entered the world, this opportunity arose to provide itself a window for you that when you were born and when you would go through the trials of this earth, when you went through the culture of the world, when you went through this nature of wanting to sin because of what the world has done and and, and twisted you up and, and spat you out and made you feel a certain way, that there was a door that was open for you over 2,000 years ago to say, you know, this is what's going to happen when you, when you walk onto this earth, whether you like it or not. You're going to have this nature about you that's going to that's walk around and you're going to be exposed to people, whether it's your friends, whether it's your family members, whether it's your schoolmates, whether it's the TV, whether it's social media. You're going to be exposed to these things that are going to draw you away from me. But fortunately for you, 2,000 years ago, I sent my son to die on a cross, to open a door that you could live with me forever. And if there is any reason to be thankful to Jesus, it's because of that sacrifice that he had made and the grace that was given that was incredibly undeserved. Because there's nothing that we can do to take all that water back out of that cup and put it back in the pitcher. The love is there. The grace is there. And we didn't, we, don't, we didn't do anything and we haven't done anything to deserve that water to keep flowing. Honestly, we've done a lot of things probably in our lives to make that pitcher want to stop, to make that love want to stop and say, you know what? You've done messed up too many times. The water's stopped coming. You know, you're not going to have an opportunity to be overflowing with thankfulness because I'm going to stop, stop giving you my blessings. But God's never done that. God continues the water to flow no matter what we do. And that's a perfect image of grace. 
is that as that cup, we can have these dark spots, we can have these dirty spots, but that water keeps coming in to give us an opportunity to clean ourselves, to give us an opportunity to feel loved, to have us an opportunity to show the grace so that we can be something different. So what we're going to do, just to even start the sermon today, is we're going to take communion. We're going to take the Lord's Supper because I do believe <clears throat> that if there's anything to be thankful for, it's for what Jesus has done for us. And if there's anything that's going to give us that image of gratitude, if there's anything that's going to give us that feeling and that emotion that we need to be driven by something that we're grateful for, it needs to be God's grace and how he sent his son down to die on the cross to forgive our sins, and we've done nothing <clears throat> to deserve that. So I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to take communion. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to come up, and we're going to finish this out today. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be thankful for something that great. Lord, you know, I can, I, can be, I can be grateful. I can be thankful for small things in life, whether, you know, somebody helps me pay a bill or somebody, you know, gives me a ride to and from something or, you know, there's some things that it's, it's easy to be grateful for, God, but um, to have an opportunity to be grateful to have an eternal home with you, even though time and time again, I choose to, to go opposite of your way. I choose to get caught up in sin. I choose to, I choose to live a life sometimes that's so selfish. Um, God, there's, there's no reason why you should want to give me grace. There's no reason you should have ever wanted to send your son down to die because you love me. And God, I think that if I can remember that on a more daily level of how much you do love me because of what you did with your son, it may change the course of my life. It may change how I choose to treat people. It may change how I choose to live. And God, I pray that I can remember that today. And I pray that us in the crowd of the congregation, that we can remember that today that you sent your son to die for us because you loved us and you want us to be grateful in how we choose to live our lives because of that. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. It says in Psalms 103, verses 2 through 11, it says, I will not forget the glorious things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals me. He ransoms me from hell. He surrounds me with love. He fills my life with good things. He is merciful and tender towards those who don't deserve it. He's slow to get angry. He never bears a grudge. He has not punished us as if we deserve for our sins. You know, what, what, more, what more of a way to be thankful or grateful than to know that we serve a God that treats us like that? So not only for the grace he's shown me, but number two, for the plans he has for me. For the plans he has for me. <clears throat> uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Most of us heard, heard, have heard this verse. This is a benchmark verse within our church. Um, and, and, and Jeremiah comes and he, and he tells these people, he says, I have good, good plans for you, says the Lord. I don't plan to hurt you. I plan to give you a hope and a future. And it's interesting when you, when you hear this verse, um, just to, to think about the kind of plans that God has for us, that we can be grateful for those things. That if, 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 we're, if we're investigating a relationship with God and, and we're looking to see who God is and um, to know that this is the kind of life he has in store for us, that can be an incredibly encouraging hope, and it can be an incredibly uh, feeling to, to be grateful that God has, has set some plans in place for us. But the interesting point about this verse that sometimes we lose sight of is that, is that Jeremiah didn't come and talk to a bunch of worldly people about this. He wasn't trying to, 
to, to reach a bunch of lost people when he came and talked and talked about this verse. Jeremiah actually was talking to God's people who had just forgotten that these people had lost their way. And Jeremiah was coming back in saying, you guys know who God is. You've forgotten. You've, you've walked off that path. You need to remember that God has good plans for you. He, he has hope for you. He, he, he doesn't want to harm you. He wants to give you a future. And I think that sometimes can have a, a deeper impact now for a lot of us in this church because we've heard this verse and we give this verse so many times to the world and we say, listen, God has plans for you. He wants to give you a hope and a future. And I think that sometimes we forget that God isn't done with us yet, that God isn't done with the plans he has for us yet. And I think sometimes we forget and we get in these little funks in our walk with God and say, you know what, I'm kind of stagnant right now. I'm kind of in a place that I don't really know where I'm going. I don't know the direction of my life. I know I, I, know, I know who God is because I've been baptized and I, I've been in ministry for a while. I've been, I've been a member of a church for a while, but I still just kind of feel like things aren't where I thought they would be. And sometimes we need to stop, I wouldn't say stop, reading this verse so much to, to people in the world, but we need to start reading it more for ourselves as well. To remember that God <clears throat> has sent somebody to his people saying, you need to remember the kind of plans I have for you. And I think for a lot of us, if we, if we felt that way and realized, you know, God still has, maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you're somebody in this church who's been here for a while that you needed to hear that today. You need to hear Jeremiah 29, 11 for yourself. That God has plans for you still and a hope and a future. And when you know that, it can be a lot more easier to be grateful to know that there's something that God has in store for you that you, you don't even know about yet that he wants to continue to bless you with. Number three, for the difference he's making in me. For the difference he's making in me. <coughs> it says in Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. Think about where you were before God. Or think about where you are currently without God. You know, think about your life before you had a relationship with God. For me, um, I was incredibly lonely. I had, I had friends that I played sports with in, in school, um, but I didn't have depth to those things. Uh, I cussed a lot. Uh, I watched a lot of a lot of really raunchy, dirty stand-up, and I used to work at Finish Line out in Alton Square. And I'd go and we talk about the new stuff. For me, for me, when I was when I was younger, like the top comedians were like guys like Dane Cook and like these other um, just really really raunchy guys that I could think of. Um, and I'd watch like the old Eddie Murphy stuff, and I'd watch some really old. Um, Richard Pryor stuff, like that's kind of showing my time now <laughs> on some of this old stuff. And it was, it was pretty explicit. It was pretty dirty. But I would go into work and I would cuss just like these guys would. And I would tell the same kind of jokes these guys would. And I would, I would say this, this insane stuff. And it's funny because when I look at my life now and, and people talk to me, um, they don't see that same type of language or that same type of, type of dialect that, that that's, that's the way that my life is kind of controlled, or that's the way that my language tends, because that was, the, that, was, that was who I was. You know, and it was funny because I remember whenever I first started coming around to anything religious, um, and a guy started studying the Bible with me, it's, it's funny thinking about how that progression changed. 
Because for me, like a guy that used to cuss all the time, that used to swear all the time, used to say anything that I would want to say just because I thought it would make people funny, which for me, it was an insecurity that I didn't have friends, so I thought if I talked dirty that people would laugh and then they would like me because people like funny jokes whenever you say cuss words or whatever it may be, right? And so as I started studying the Bible with some guys, it's funny because I would drop a cuss word here and there and be like, you know, that, that's effing crazy. Oh, my bad, my bad. And, and, I would, I, and it was funny because at first I would just continue to cuss because it was just normal. And I was like, everybody cusses. I'm on a college campus and people are going to cuss, so I'm going to cuss. But then as I started studying the Bible, I started changing a little bit and I'd be like, oh, F that. Well, my bad. I shouldn't say that. My bad. Um, and then it, it got to a point where ultimately it just stopped, you know? And, and it's funny because I, other, I had other addictions, other habits that I would do, um, and those things stopped as well, little by little. And it's funny because here I am, you know, 15 years into my relationship with God, that there are some things that are completely absent that if I talk to people for a week or two and, and they got to know me and I tell them about this kind of thing, they're like, you used to act like that? You used to talk like that? No way. No way. And I'm like, no, I did. And they're like, so what did you do? What was your step plan? What was, what was, what, what was your five-step plan to get to where you're at today? And I was like, I mean, it wasn't like there was a day that I was like, you know, I will never cuss again. You know, <laughs> like, I, or I will, I will never struggle with this addiction again. This is the day. You know, and I, I couldn't pinpoint that time. Because the reality is, is that it wasn't me who did that. It was the difference that God was making within me. You see, this verse says he gives us the desire to obey him. You see, when you, when you have the desire to want a relationship with God, he in return gives you the power to do what pleases him, which is to change who you are, to change your character. You see, there's this big lie that goes around the world, and it goes as this, be yourself. You see, to be a disciple, that is the biggest lie you can be fed your whole life. Just be yourself. See, because ourselves are human. Ourselves are messed up. Ourselves, and, and they're like, well, so what are you saying? We're supposed to be a bunch of clones? No, you're supposed to be a disciple. You're supposed to live for someone else. Your identity goes underneath the water when, when you die. And you don't come up trying to protect this image of who you are anymore or what you stand for anymore because now you have a Holy Spirit working within you that is changing who you are into what God has wanted you to be from the very beginning. God doesn't want you to be somebody who struggles with these addictions. God doesn't want you to be somebody who struggles with this depression. He doesn't want you to struggle with sadness. He doesn't want you to struggle with things that are going to harm you. But if you just be yourself, that will happen. If you protect your image and your identity, those things will happen. But if you let God create a difference in you, and you realize that it's not you that's changing those things. It wasn't me that was changing my character and how I chose to talk to people. It wasn't me who was changing my language. There was a Holy Spirit working within me and around me at that time, helping me understand, man, this way that you live, it doesn't feel right anymore. Because you now have a desire to please somebody much bigger than yourself. And that difference that he makes within me 
is an incredible piece of the puzzle to be grateful for. Think about who you were. Think about what you struggled with. Think about those same things. And ask yourself, how did you, get, how did you change? Do you remember a 12-step plan that got you to where you're at today? Or do you remember something much greater at work, the power of what God had in store for you to do what pleases him? And maybe you stunted yourself for a little bit and you feel like you're kind of backsliding and ask that question, do you still have that desire to have God have a difference in you? Number four. Um, number four is for, I think we have two different pieces here, um, for the crossings and our church plants, for the people of this church. Yeah, that's I think what you guys have on your notes. For the people of this church and church plants. You know, I described earlier about how we have these different church plants, one in Wentzville, one in Columbia, one in um, Interbelt. And God has given us an opportunity to, to have people. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, I grew up, I had some friends in high school and I had a context of friends that were uh, sport friends, um, but there was no depth there. There was no, there was no real relationships there. And for, for some of you guys, you may not know our other churches. You may not know people within our other churches um, yet, <laughs> but you will soon if, if you're visiting or if you're coming around kind of, if you've only been around for a small amount of time. For, for others in this room, you have been exposed to our other churches. You've been exposed to this church. You've been exposed to those relationships. And it's so important for us to remember and realize that we need to be thankful to Jesus because he's provided this kind of home for us. He's provided church for us. And when I say church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about people. You see, I talk about this all the time. I'm a campus minister here at the church. And, and so when I spend time with our college students and and we have these lessons throughout the week, one of the things that I tend to ask at least once a semester when I'm talking about friendships is say, how many of you guys can honestly say that you still have deep friendships with the people that you went to high school with? And more times than not, most people do not raise their hand. They, they say, you know, it's kind of crazy because whenever I was in high school, even for you high schoolers that are here today, um, this is just a good point of influence, um, when you're in high school, you are forced to be friends with people. <laughs> like, there's no way around it. You, you have a small sector of people, which is in your sphere of influence, that you can choose to be friends with, which is your high school. It's hard to be friends with people in other high schools because you don't see other people in other high schools. If you're in our ministries, well, yeah, you get a little exposure because you go to church, but most kids don't go to church. So their exposure is to the people in their school. Well, that doesn't just stop with us as adults, right? Because you're exposed to even a smaller circle because of where you work, right? You don't go to other jobs and just try to become friends with other people at other jobs, right? You choose to have the people within your little workplace, and that's your little hub of friends that you have. Most of those people don't go to church. So that's all they have too. And most of you guys probably know that you have a couple coworkers that you're pretty cool with, but then there's some coworkers that you're never going to talk to outside of work, right? That we all have those kind of people. Um, and I was like that in high school. And then after high school was done, most of us never really talked to each other again. 
because we were forced to be in that same spot because of the context that we were in. I was friends with the baseball guys because I played baseball. I was friends with some of the other athletes because I was athletes. I was, some, I was friends with some of the kids in grade school because we had the same homeroom team, you know? And I, I built those friendships. And what's crazy is, is that I invested more time in those friendships than probably I do now as campus because we, we had to spend, we were forced to be at school for what, seven or eight hours a day, right? If you played sports, maybe it's eight or nine hours a day that you have to be around these people. And then you do that for four years. That's more than most of you guys work in a week, right? That's more than a 40-hour week job if you're, working, if you're playing sports and, and doing this every single day, five days a week, and then you got tournaments and stuff on the weekends. You, you spend so much time and you devote so much time to four years of your life, and then boom, that summer hits a college and you look back and say, where did all my friends go? What about a job? It's the same way, isn't it? You can devote decades of your life to a job, to a workplace. But what happens when you get laid off and you got to go find another job? Do a lot of those friends stay with you? Do, you? do you still have deep communication with most of those people? Or do you look back at your time being like, man, it was fun when I worked at Finish Line. I, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy. But like, we don't really hang out anymore. We don't really talk about stuff anymore. It was our context. But when you have a relationship with God, it's not bound to a context. It's bound to a commonality. And that commonality is that we all have a relationship with God. You see, Paul understood that in Philippians 1.3. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. You see, he's talking to the church in Philippi. In, in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because of our faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. You see, Paul understood and, and Paul went around and he, he influenced a lot of churches. And more times than not, Paul was always describing how much he was thankful for the friends that God has put into his life. Even when Paul was in prison, he was like, I, I wish I could be there with you. And, and he, had this, he had this understanding that he knew how important it was to have these relationships in his lives. And for most of you guys in this room, you know how important it is to have other people in your life. You know how important it is not just to have other people, but God's people. Because you know how that can change your life. I have friendships at those other churches as well that have influenced me, that have made me the man that I am today, that have made me the father that I am today, the husband, the preacher that I am today. I have those relationships that I thank God for because he brought them into my life and I get to walk this life with them. But sometimes when we put that cap on the cup, we forget. Oh, we got another retreat coming up. Oh my gosh, how am I going to afford this one? Oh, we, we got another small group meeting. How often do we meet for small group? Oh, we got to be at church again this Sunday, man. What, can we just take a week off? And no, all right. <laughs> and, what, and what do we do every single time we have one of those uh, moments? We forget. But you know what's so funny is when people tend to be away from the Crossing Church, it's It's funny. When people choose to go like on vacation for like a week or so, or they choose to go away, if they actually are grateful for those relationships, it's like they're dying to come home. I don't know how many times I've seen people that go away, even for Thanksgiving that people have been away and they come in with like a different environment. For a lot of you guys, we didn't have Thanksgiving crossed out this week, right? And so some of you guys have been like, 
I feel like I haven't seen you guys in forever, right? Anybody think that today, right? Anybody think that, like, I haven't seen everybody in forever? It's just been a week, you know? Like, it's been, like, seven days because we didn't have cross chat this week for our student ministries. But our student ministries are used to seeing each other um, throughout the week. And when the holiday season hits and we're kind of away for a little bit, we're like, man, it's been forever. we got to catch up. And I'm like, man, we, we didn't have cross chat, but I know you guys hung out two or three times this week. It hasn't been like you haven't seen each other, you know? But there is a drawing force that happens whenever you're around God's people. Because, like I said, when you're around God's people, it's not about the context, it's about the commonality. And you know that no matter if the place changes, the relationships will maintain. You see, I no longer am a member of the crossing St. Charles County. I'm no longer a member of that church. But you best believe I still have deep relationships and I still invest in those friendships that I have because I'm grateful for what God has given me in, that, in those friendships in that life. I can leave a place and still have those. And Paul understood that very clearly and he wanted to express that by how he chose to talk and engage and involve himself with those same kinds of people. And so it's important for us <coughs> to look just like Paul did to be thankful for these people in these places. And then fifthly, um, for the place he's prepared for me. I can be thankful to Jesus because of the place he's prepared for me. 2 Corinthians 5.1, we know that our body will be destroyed, but when that happens, God will have a house for us. It will not be a house made by human hands. Instead, it will be a home in heaven that will last forever. See, I did identify myself as an older man today. I know I said it. I wish I wouldn't have, but I'm in the lot now, right? Um, I played basketball twice last week, and I usually only play once, and my body felt it for sure. <laughs> I was actually out with my back. It's my, my back had some big problems, and I was, I was stuck on the couch for, for a day or so because I was so, my back had just kind of seized up. And I was just like, I'm feeling it. I'm going out, guys. This is my time. You know, like, it's just not going to happen. And it's funny because here I am in my mid-30s, and there's, there's people that are older and be like, you don't know what real pain is, son. Like, you, you're, you haven't got that back pain to just wait 20 more years, and that back pain will still be there, but it'll be that more intense, right? And even in, even in my, my ignorant, youthful age, I still don't understand the deep pain that goes with a body starting to be destroyed like it talks about here. Some of you in this room may feel that a little deeper. You may feel that you understand that your body isn't the same it was as a, as a younger man, as a teenager, and you start to feel this idea that there's a realization that our bodies will not last forever. As we get older, we understand that. If I could only go back to my 20s and just remember what it was like to be that youthful and that energized and that, and that strong and all these things, and, and now as I've gotten older, I feel the implications of a physical body that is being destroyed. And that can be frightening sometimes, right? That can bother us to think about, you know, my time on this earth is getting shorter and shorter as life goes on. What's going to happen? Where am I going to go? Well, we can be grateful that it says when that happens, God has a house for us. God has built a home for us. And it's not a house made by human hands, but he has a home for us. And that promise isn't just for you personally, 
But that's for your family. That's for your friends. That's for your loved ones. But that's for his children, and it will last forever. You see, not everyone gets to go to heaven, and that's a hard topic to talk about. Not, not most people get to go to heaven, <clears throat> but God's children do. And God has a place already reserved for those children, and it's an eternal home in his family. And that brings me some peace, to know that there is, there is a place for me, but also a place for my family if they can remain faithful to God. And that's an incredible encouragement to be thankful for, to know that while I'm here on earth, I can be thankful for that, but also incredibly um, incredibly grateful in a way that I want to share that with one another. I want to share that to make sure that I can, I can help the most people as possible if he's prepared this home for all of his children, that we can, we can, we can invite anyone we want to into that, that we can keep building that and keep growing that. And if those are, <clears throat> if those are some, some core reasons to be thankful for God, to be thankful for Jesus, what are some things that maybe we can do today? And that's kind of what I wanted to end on today is just some, what, what are some practical things? You know, I never want to give a sermon that just gives us some good knowledge. Um, knowledge is pointless without application. You know, I'd hate to give a sermon just for knowledge. Say, oh, now I know that, you know, great. But knowledge is only as good as the application that goes behind it. And if we have this knowledge of these things that we should be thankful for now that we know these things, how in the world should we apply that? What practically should we do to have that Thanksgiving with God in our lives? And we're going we're gonna to knock five things out. Um, and most of these things we know, but maybe some of these things are just reminders that we need to have. And, I, and as I walked through these things, I was thinking about them. I was like, you know, most of these things I have done in my life, well, yeah, all of these things I've done in my life. Um, and at certain phases in my life, you know, I'll just wait till the end to talk about that. <laughs> um, let's just knock these out. All right, number one is by singing to him. Number one is by singing to him. When is the last time you sang? Hopefully it was about half hour ago, right? Um, hopefully everybody was singing about a half hour ago, right? Um, it, it says, Psalms 147.7, it says, sing out your thanks to him. Sing praises to our God. Um, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of the anointed one richly inhabit your lives. With all wisdom, teach, counsel, and instruct one another. Sing the psalms, compose hymns, and sing songs inspired by the Spirit, and keep on singing. Sing to God from hearts full and spilling over with thankfulness. Um, and I hear, I hear Wes say this all the time. He, he says something like, it's, God doesn't ask us, I don't know, I always butcher it. God doesn't ask us to make a, like a good sound. It's a joyful sound, right? Is, is that the, the joke? To make a joyful noise. Praise God for that. Because my, my sound is not peaceful. <laughs> like, my singing is not graceful. My singing is not good, if, if you were by any, any worldly standards. <clears throat> um, but I've challenged myself to make it joyful. I've challenged myself to make it something that's worth, worth the gratitude that I should feel in my relationship with God. You know, you would never catch me dead singing in high school. No way. I was so insecure as it was. You know, I didn't want, any, I didn't want, I didn't want one more reason for people to make fun of me, you know, um, or to make me feel more insecure. And the reality was, is if I was singing in high school, no matter what it was, whether it was church songs or songs I was listening to um, through my headphones, 
I was probably going to get made fun of because the world is going to make fun of people like that. Like high school, high school kids are mean, right? You know what I'm saying? Like junior high kids are even worse. And then the, the, the smaller down you go, right? It's like the worse they are, the smaller they are. Little ankle biters, man. They just keep coming at us. And they're just so mean, right? Um, and in the world, you should expect that. That's what's going to happen. And it can feed an insecurity to make us feel that, once again, well, we have an image to protect. We don't want people to look at us this way. But we're not in the world anymore. You know, for you guys that have been around at the crossings this year, we've been talking about the kingdom, right? We've been talking about God's kingdom, and we've, we've understood this year that God's kingdom isn't just in heaven. But if you're, if you're a committed disciple and you live your life for God, the kingdom's here and you're inside of it. And so you're no longer singing in the world, you're singing in the kingdom. You're singing in God's kingdom. And then that can bring a completely different sense of gratitude that if you were in front of your... It, I, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that most of us, if we were put in the presence of God right now, that we would not sing if he asked us to sing. But it's, it's, it's frustrating sometimes to know that you live in that kingdom right now and you refuse to sing, you know? Or maybe you do sing, but you just mutter some words together, but there's no way that that singing shows gratitude. You know, I think sometimes when we just kind of mutter words together, it's like when you tell that kid to say thank you, and they go, thank you. That's what we look like when we sing to God. When he says, please sing praises to me, sing, sing your praise to me, you know, oh, I'm going to sing this song because they're both singing, and I'm going to sing and sing and sing because they're both singing. That's no different than saying thank you. Do, you. do you feel like a gratitude is felt there? Do you feel like an, an earnestness with our relationship with God that there is a, such a gratitude and thankfulness for what he's done in us? Does that show up in our worship? Or do we need to evaluate? Number two, by praying to him. Don't worry over whatever. Tell God every detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer. And the peace of God, which transcends human understanding, will keep constant guard over you, over your hearts and minds, as if they rest in Christ Jesus. See, <coughs> two things here that you can look at. One, it does say, tell God every detail of your needs. It's okay to talk to God about what you need. It's okay to ask God for things. It's okay to say, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. Um, but it's not okay to just leave it at that. You know, I was watching The Grinch last night with my kids as we were decorating my basement. Um, and uh, we decorate our basement all in Grinch this year. I have so much Grinch stuff. It's awesome. My whole basement's Grinch stuff, and I turn the Grinch on. I love it. But we watched the new one with, with the new cartoon with Benedict Cumberbatch. And I remember that, I always remember the scene because the first time he runs into Cindy Lou Who, right, and they kind of crash into each other, and she's trying to look for this letter, and she's like, my letter, my letter, I'm trying to find my letter. And, and the Grinch goes, well, let me guess. It's close to Christmas time, a little girl looking for her letter. Might that be your demands to Santa Claus, you know, your list of demands? And uh, she's like, no, 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 it's, I, I, it's really important, you know. And I think sometimes that's how we pray to God. Might it be your list of demands that you're bringing to God today when you pray? Are you actually wanting a relationship with this man? Or is this just a list of demands that you need to get through your work, your work week? Right? Do we tend to only pray to God 
when we need something. Now, God doesn't say, don't pray on things you just need, but there's, there's a heart that goes behind it. It says, tell God your needs in earnest and thankful prayer. So what does that look like? What does that look like in your prayer life? Is there gratitude in how you talk to God? Is there gratitude in why you're talking to God? It doesn't necessarily mean the context of what's being talked about. You can still need something from God, but the way that you talk to him and communicate can really show if there's a gratitude there or not. Uh, number three, by serving him. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, 28. Since we have a kingdom that nothing can destroy, let us please God by serving him with thankful hearts. See, this kingdom mentality seems a little different now, right? That we've talked about kingdom being here on earth and we live within it. If we have a kingdom here on earth that can't be destroyed, let us please God by serving him with thankful hearts. You know, what have you been serving lately in our, in our, in our thankfulness? Have you been serving God with a thankful heart or have you still been trying to serve yourself on this earth and build something up within your own kingdom, your kingdom, little k for you? Number four, by sharing my faith. Thank the Lord, Isaiah 12, 4 says. Thank the Lord, praise his name. Tell the world about his wondrous love and how mighty he is. It is your gratitude for all those things that Jesus has given to you does it outpour to other people. See, that's the overflowing effect. That gratitude, when that water keeps going in that cup and it's overflowing, it should touch anything and affect anything around it. That water is going to make a mess and it's going to touch so many things you know, if you had it on a kitchen table and you pour that water into that cup and it's overflowing, it's going to get on everything that it touches, right? It's going to get all over that table. If there's any papers on the table, it's going to, it's going to roll over to the chairs. It's going to get on the floor. It's going to keep going. Are you doing that same gratitude with people? Is your gratitude touching all the people around you? Do people around you understand and know how grateful you are for what God has done for you, that your thankfulness is overflowing so much that it cannot be contained in your own life, but that people around you are being impacted? You know, I talk about this in the teacher service, but sometimes we get so consumed within our own small groups and we get so consumed by our own relationships. This isn't just about reaching the lost. I think it's important for us to talk to our coworkers and to talk to our friends but even, you know, I'll talk to you disciples for a second. Even within your own context of your friends within this church, there, there are, everybody is on a different maturity level within our church. You know, I wouldn't say that everybody is at the bottom. I wouldn't say everybody's at the top. I think that that goes down through wisdom and experience and maturity is one of those things that the Bible says that you grow in and you gain in, and I don't think anybody's arrived. So I think everybody needs maturity, which means that we need people that are maturing us. And I think how that happens is how we share our faith. And in the campus ministry, one of the things that I want to, what I was, what I was talking about today in my teacher services, I wonder how more mature our college students would be if when they hung out 
they actually talked about their faith more than what's going on in the culture, what's going on in the world, or what's going on with their phones. You know, um, because I think that sometimes even in church and even in our in, in our in our in our discipleship, we can get so caught up in just talking about faith during organized times. You know what I'm saying? Like it's easy to talk about it at small group. It's easy to talk about it during our guy and girls meetings, but it's not so easy when we're sitting around a grill. It's not so easy when we're sitting around a TV watching a sports game. It's not so easy when we're watching Netflix. It's not so easy when we're just laying around looking at our phones. And think about how many times, especially you student ministries, because I know you guys hang out so much together outside of those organized times, how many times you actually spend time with other guys and girls. Hopefully you say it probably a lot, but how much of those times are you guys talking about your faith and what Jesus has done for you? And would you say that the way that you share your faith has been helping overflow into somebody else's life? Or have you been stunting people because you're not willing to show the maturity that God has given you? You see, I think our churches would be completely on a different maturity level if there was more dialogue and what was going on in our faith and what was happening on a day-to-day level within our maturity. But I think sometimes we hear verses like this, and we're like, okay, I need to go share my faith with the world, so I need to go find some random college student on campus, or I need to go find a coworker in, in my work context, and I need to share my faith with them. And, and we completely neglect the maturity that happens within our own family, within our, within our brothers and sisters as disciples. And I think it's important for us to not neglect and forget that our faith is just as important to the world as it is to our brothers and sisters. And maybe that might change our dialogue and how we talk to one another outside of those organized times. And number five, by sacrificing to him. <coughs> by sacrificing to him. Romans 12.1, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. You see, how can you overflow in sacrificial thanksgiving? What does that look like? I want to encourage you guys to think about what we've been talking about all year. To be continued. The Acts Church. The first century of disciples and how they lived. To be like them, to live like them, to give like them, to share your faith like them to arrange your priorities like them, to watch as we walk this entire year through the book of Acts and these different men and women that have changed everything about themselves to sacrifice their lives to live for God because of the gratitude of what Jesus did on the cross for them. And I encourage us and challenge us to be just like that. It says in Colossians 3.17, it says, let every detail in your lives, your words, your actions, whatever, be done in the name of Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. You see what I was going to say earlier that I said I was going to wait till the end was for a lot of us, we can look at these five different things and we can probably maybe pinpoint a, a place or a time in our lives when one of these was at its peak. You know, there, there are certain points. I, I do remember, um, it's really funny, but when I first started coming around, after I got baptized, this was way back in 2008 or 2009, um, I went to, I heard somebody said, dang, one of you fools. It was you. It was you. <laughs> dang. All right, you were probably in diapers, weren't you, in 2008? That's what I thought. All right, <laughs> somebody was going, dang, call them out. All right, so 
When I got baptized, I went to my first family vacation in campus ministry. And we were actually going down to Florida at the time. And I went to this, I went to this retreat in Florida and we were worshiping. And you know, I I I I was reaching a church kind of like this size or so, and, and we sang on Sundays like we like we normally do. But there was something different for me to be exposed to hundreds of college students worshiping. Because if you think a Sunday morning hits, why don't you go to a college ministries, you know, worship thing and see how different the energy is there? For me, it was my first exposure. And I thought it was insane. And I jumped right on in with it. And, and I felt there was this immense sense of gratitude that I had for what I was experiencing. And the way that I was worshiping was like, for me, I can think about it now because I remember that Ashley Catazon, who is a youth leader at one of our other churches, she was down there at that retreat worshiping. I didn't know who she was at the time. But she went over to one of my small group leaders and said, I don't know who that kid is, but that kid sings. And I was in the front row and I was going crazy. And I've watched times in my life where that, that was a peak for me. And things have happened and I've forgotten and my ingratitude has set in and I've started to, to take a step back in my worship. I can think about times where my prayer life was at its peak. You know, and maybe you guys can start going through this list and you're starting to think of these things for yourselves as well. You know, I can think at a time in my life where I felt like my whole life was serving. That everything I did, I was giving car rides left and right. I was handing my money out left and right. I was, I was giving everything I could to let people know I wanted to serve them. But I can catch myself at times hoarding now, building myself up, building something more for myself. I can remember times where my faith, I felt like I had a new person I was meeting every single day on campus that I was blazing a trail and trying to meet new people and just share with them to show them that maybe they could have what I now have. I remember all these windows in my life and sacrificing him, just, just, even things in there that I can look at in my life and say, you know, there's so many things that I've sacrificed. I've sacrificed jobs before. I gave up baseball in college. I quit baseball because it just was, the sacrifice was too high of a cost for my relationship with God. So one had to go and it, for me, it was college baseball. And so I quit playing sports um, my job was too demanding at that time, and they were, want, they were wanting me to work on Sundays. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. You know, it's a joke as a college student. You know, here's a little pitch for you college kids, but it is a joke for you to work on Sundays. It just is. Because you don't, you're not in a career. You're in a job. So if your McDonald's job makes you work on Sundays, go find another job. I'm sure somebody will hire you, especially in the culture that we live in right now because everybody's hiring. But for us to make an excuse as young college kids saying, oh, my... my my minimum wage job won't let me get off on Sundays. Well, it doesn't really sound like it's a job you should be in the first place. You know what I'm saying? And so like I had those kind of sacrifices I had to start making in my life to say, you know what? This is not that important. And, I, and honestly, because I've made those sacrifices, God has blessed my life. Even though I didn't want to make the sacrifices, I made them anyway. And God has given me something so much greater on the other end. And I can remember those peaks and I'm hoping that maybe some of you guys can start dreaming about and thinking about and remembering those peaks in your life. Because those peaks happened when you were grateful. And if you're at a phase in your life right now where you feel like you have plateaued, it's because you have lost sight of that gratitude. You see, it, nobody wants to say they're ungrateful. 
I don't think anybody says that as a disciple. Nobody says as a Christian, you know, I'm very ungrateful for what God has done for me. You know, nobody says that. Because it's so much easier to say, you know what, I've forgotten how much God has done for me. It's a lot easier to say that. But they both have the same implications on our life. And so whichever one helps you sleep better at night, I don't care how you say it, they're the same thing. But your life is going to feel the same plateau until we can remember that there's a gratitude for what we have been given, what we have been blessed with, And if we want to get back on that track to keep climbing that hill to find these new peaks, I pray to God that I find new peaks in these areas in my life that I can that I haven't arrived. There's still more in the tank for me, you know, that I can do some of these things and 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 explode in ways that I've never done before. I want my kids to see that side of me. You know, for you parents in the room, don't you want your kids to see how it was for you when you were in college? or when you were in ministry for the first time, and for, you to, for them to see that fire that you used to have, I want my kids to see my early years, my golden years. But we have this thought that, like, that we can never get back to that because that was so long ago. But that's not, a, that's not how discipleship works. It's not an age thing. It's a heart thing. And as we mature, I want my kids to see a different type of fire in me that's even better than what it was when I first came around. We have student ministries here that need to sit out of you guys. And for you younger kids, maybe you need to stop taking so much of a look at the culture around you and what you want to be and start looking at some of the men and women in this congregation and start looking at those models because of the grace that has been given to them and where they're at today. And maybe if you got to know our adults a little bit more, you'd be a little more grateful that God has put them in your life because their stories are so much more screwed up than any story that you can think of from your own schools. We have a family here, and there's a lot of gratitude that can happen here but we need to share our faith with one another. We need to sing with one another. We need to serve with one another. We need to sacrifice with one another. We need to pray with one another. We need to do these things together because we're grateful for what God has given us. And if we can do that, man, I can't imagine what God's going to do with this church. Look what he's done in six years. Imagine if we reach our peaks all together, what the next six years will look like. Crazy things can happen. I want to encourage you guys all to pull out this communication card in your guys' bulletin. This is an opportunity. Honestly, it's an opportunity to show some gratitude. <laughs> it really is. This is an opportunity for you to look at your life and say, you know what? What is going on in my life that I need to be grateful for? Maybe you're investigating this stuff. Maybe you don't really know, but you know you want to be grateful. Like, you know you want something going on in your life, but you don't know that much about Jesus. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you check that you would like a Bible study. You'd like to know more about Jesus. You'd like to know more about what he's got going on in his life and what he's got in store for you. Maybe you haven't been experiencing community. Maybe you've been impacted, kind of like I was talking about with, you know, I grew up going to school, and uh, I didn't have these deep relationships because of the context I was in. Maybe you have that same kind of thought where it's like, maybe you like being here on Sundays, but like once you leave, like you don't have that at home. You don't have that with your friendships. Maybe you check that you'd like to know more about our small groups and find those hubs that we've been talking about that it doesn't matter our context because we have a commonality with one another. We see each other throughout the week. Maybe there's just some things in your life that you have forgotten, and because of that, you've backslid, and you're stuck in some habits, or you're stuck in some addictions. Check that you'd like to know more about our support services, because we have people that have walked through those same paths of life that you have. I don't know where you're at today, but I know we all need to be grateful. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know where you've plateaued, but I know that God's people 
have a habitual tendency to forget. It's just our nature. It's been going on since the first century. It's been going on since the Old Testament. We, as God's people, forget. And this card is an opportunity for you to start to remember. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a prayer. Um, We're going to have the worship come up and sing a song, and I'll give you guys some time to fill out that card. And I encourage you guys over the next couple weeks, we're going to start going through uh, we have some holiday things coming up, but we have to, you know, we're finishing out the rest of the year. I encourage you guys to take that step of gratitude to just involve yourselves, connect somehow, and find a way to be grateful and just to remember, remember what that felt like and how you can have an impact on the people around you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross. Thank you so much for the for the people you've placed in my life. Thank you so much for the wisdom that you have, uh, you've given me through my own experience, but also through the maturity that you've given me because of the people that you've surrounded me with, with older men, with older models, with older pillars in the faith. God, I've, I went through a lot of naive years where I thought I could do it on my own. I thought I could fix it on my own. I thought um, I could learn to be grateful on my own. But God, it was only through you and your people that I was able to learn some of the things that I have today. And so I, got, I pray that I can just remember to be grateful. I can remember what it was like before I knew you. I can remember what it was like to know how good I felt when I did have you. And I can remember to know that there are things in my life um, that I need to constantly be working on to show my gratitude towards you. And I pray that today our congregation, our people today can respond in a way that shows that same type of gratitude in their own personal lives, Lord. In your son's name I pray, amen. Amen.